Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know at impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org. Click on the Give link and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, The Book of Acts. We will be diving deep into Acts and looking at eyewitness accounts of the Holy Spirit and asking ourselves, can these same miracles happen in our church today? It's going to be an amazing series you won't want to miss. Well, good afternoon. Thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, nice crowd on a wonderful uh, Saturday afternoon. I want to invite everybody that's attending online. Thank everybody that's here live uh, for coming and joining us. Really quickly, one thing that I want to add specifically for our Lone Tree community here um, that was not on that video, and that is this, um, that we've been talking about Dinners for Eight. We've also been talking about the Book of Acts, and, and I want to tr try to join two things together really quickly. Um, the Book of Acts talks all about the community of the body of Christ coming together and living life together and the blessings that come when they link arms together. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and I just want to encourage you that we believe that as a church, um, we need to do that, and we need to do it beyond just the, the weekend services that we have, and one of the ways that we're trying to do that is by helping you guys gain and build community by doing our Dinners for Eight group, and I'm happy to announce that this weekend we are going to be taking sign-ups. We already have all the group's leaders put together and the initial hosts, so on your way out this weekend, if you are so inclined, I would highly encourage you to at least stop by our Dinners for Eight table, take a look at those, and maybe even sign up for one of those. Um, Dinners for Eight, again, for those of you who may not know, it's, it's groups of people, eight people, so whether it be four couples or, four, or eight singles, Getting together once a month for four months, uh, August, September, October, and November in the homes of each of you, having dinner together and just having fun, getting to know each other, um, and hopefully seeing the blessing that comes from that. And then I also want to encourage you this weekend um, it, for you guys to hang around and just to, to enjoy the, the community and the body of Christ that he's brought here. Um, and in order to encourage you and bait you a little bit on that, we are going to have a salsa bar, a chips and salsa bar. So who doesn't want chips and salsa? Um, so anyway, that's going to be in the foyer on your way out. Stop by. Let's have fun this summer, and let's build and develop community together. You guys saw it on the video. Why don't you guys go ahead and pull your notes out? We are in the middle of our series on Acts. This is the third message, and I get a really great opportunity to come and to be able to teach to you. It's always an honor and a privilege to be able to teach to you guys. I really do love it. I thank Pastor John for giving up the, the pulpit to those of us um, who do love to do this, and uh, hopefully I believe that, that the Lord has a wonderful message for each and every one of us this weekend. I do want to encourage you, if you missed the last two or even one of the last two messages of this series, go back and listen to those. You can go to jfc.org at any time to go and get those messages on podcast. Uh, I believe that it really will bless you. Uh, last weekend specifically, Kate Matat talked on living an axe-filled life and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how do we do that and what should that look like. And then the prior week, our senior pastor, Pastor John Leach, um, taught just about the book of Acts and laid a foundation for where we're going to be going. Um, but I want to encourage you as well that as we go through this series, here's the reality about the book of Acts. The book of Acts talks about the early history of the church. It talks about, um, it, it basically picks up, or, or not basically, it picks up after Jesus um, was, was crucified, he had resurrected, and then he had been given, take, gone back into heaven. He's gone at this period of time, and this is the start of the church where the disciples are going out there, and they're planting the seeds of the faith, and the church is growing. All these things are happening, um, but the book of Acts covers, in 28 chapters, it covers 33 years of church history. So for those of you who aren't good at math, um, that's more than one year 
per chapter that it talks about. And now we take those 28 chapters of Acts, and we're trying to condense those 28 chapters, those 33 years of church history, the amazing richness of what God was doing into a six-week series. And as you can imagine, there's just no ability for us to fully dive into the richness of what God's Word says. We're trying to pull out the nuggets that we feel like God is, is um, really wanting us to bring here to our church. And one day we'll probably circle back around and teach on Acts again, but we want to encourage everybody to dive into the Scripture um, in your personal time. When you're at home, would you go open up the book of Acts and read through it and ask the Lord to open your hearts and open your minds to what He wants to show you through this? Because I can promise you there's amazing truth, there's amazing blessing, and if you dive into God's Word like that and you truly do open your heart and you say, God, I want you to show me what you have for me through this Scripture, I believe that He will show up in that place. So let's do that and let's continue to, to do that together as we move through this series. Um, you know, and I realize too, some of you guys grew up in the church. And so the book of Acts may be one of those things you've read a million times. And our hope and our prayer and our heart and our desire is that while it may be old information, may this series help come and bring it to new life to you. And some of you may not have been in the church for very long at all, or maybe this is your first weekend in one of our campuses or any of our locations, and I want to encourage you, this may be new information, but don't shy away from it, because the reality of it is, is that this word here, the words, this is not just ink on paper, but this is the inspired word of God, and it truly does have the breath of life that all of us are looking for. So this weekend, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Acts chapter 9 specifically, um, but I want to give you just a little bit of a backstory here. Um, Kate Matot last weekend left off basically at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, and as I said, you know, things are cruising pretty quickly through scripture here, and so I want to let you know kind of what's going on between chapters 4 and chapter 8 before we dive headfirst into chapter 9. Um, so I'm going to give you about roughly five years of church history in about one and a half minutes. All right, so let's go. Uh, you got the bullet points there. If you don't trust me to have bulleted that correctly, then go check your scripture. Um, but this is really what's going on. Ultimately, the church is growing. Um, the word says that the, the multiple times there are places where it says that the church, the body of Christ, the way, which it calls them in the book of Acts, is growing, and thousands are added to the church, and multiple events. So the church is growing exponentially. Thousands and thousands of people are being added to the church very quickly through this period of time. Um, there are Jewish leaders who do not like this. They don't like what's being preached. They didn't like Jesus when he was here, and they almost like him even less now that he's gone, because now the church is growing. Now it's expanding. Now it's exponential. Now it's going, and it's really invading their territory. So these Jewish leaders, they come to the church and they say, hey, listen, here's the deal. You guys need to stop this right now. They went specifically to the 12 disciples, to the people who were carrying the eyewitness accounts, the, the touch um, portion that they had from encountering Jesus, and they were bringing it into the world that they were in, and they were seeing the life of God blessed and moved and expand the church. And so these Jewish leaders came to them and they said, hey, you know what? Shut your mouth. You guys are done. All right? We want you to stop teaching this okay, enough is enough, we're, we're done with this. And they basically made um, many of the church afraid, and they made many of them scatter, but it actually says that the disciples held tight, and they continued to preach the word, and they continued to proclaim what was going on. Um, and then you find in this place, the reality is that, that these believers, these new converts, these new Christians, as we were now beginning to call them, came together, and they realized, hey, look, you know, we got... We have the truth. We have the life that came through Jesus and recognize that he is the only way to heaven. We recognize that there are many adversaries, specifically in the land that we live in, and therefore we need to link arms together. We need to, to work together. We need to live together. We need to fight together. And so then it says that they shared in everything together, and it was really based upon the fact that they had to do that because they had nothing else out there. The church was everything that they had. And so it says that they shared in everything together. 
Excuse me. And as they did that, um, what's amazing is it says many healings began to take place. The Lord and the Spirit of God started to move through this place, and people were being healed. But what happened was is that these leaders saw this, and they said, you know what? We told you to be quiet. We told you to shut your mouths. We told you to stop, and you guys didn't do it, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to show you who's boss, and we're going to make you stop. And so it says that persecution basically started in the church. Persecution is um, all of these people who were adversaries against the body of Christ, against these newfound Christians. They started um, using violence and using sheer force to stop them from gathering together or sharing the word. Well, the church continued to grow. This didn't stop it. And what happened was is that the 12 disciples actually realized, man, the church is growing so rapidly that we just can't handle all of this. We're called to teach and to preach. And there's all of these things going on, all of these needs and all these people um, that, that have real needs. And so we're going to appoint these seven guys. And we're going to have these seven guys basically be the leaders of the church. Um, they were kind of like the executive pastors, if you will. It was, they were the, the 12 disciples were the pastors going out there teaching the word. And then they had these executive people that were uh, managing everything that was going on. They're kind of like the Dandemays of the church today, right? So just imagine seven Dandemays going and managing the church and making sure that everything's going on. And they were seeing that, uh, making sure that everything was operating appropriately. And one of those guys' names was Stephen. And so you guys have probably heard the name of Stephen, and Stephen goes, and he boldly is preaching the word, but he's also really taking care of the church, and he ends up getting arrested, and they arrest him, um, and they say, you know what, um, we're not okay with this, um, and what happens is in chapter 7, there's this amazing portion of scripture where Stephen, and I just don't have time to get into it, but go read it, where Stephen, he, he in boldness, imprisoned just preaches the truth to these men knowing that they full well have the power to end his life in this place. And he says, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to boldly proclaim what the truth and the life is that I know. And eventually what happens is, is um, Stephen is stoned. Stephen is stoned to death, and he becomes the first martyr of, of um, the Christian faith that we know of, the first person that we know of, at least recorded, that was killed for what he believed in in Christianity. Um, so that's where we kind of start to pick up this story. Um, in that portion of Scripture where Stephen is stoned, at the very end of that Scripture, it actually says that as the people were leaving that stoning, the people who stoned Stephen, as they were leaving that stoning, they took their cloaks off and they dropped them at the foot of a man named Saul. Okay, so that's where we pick up the story right now in Acts chapter 9. Now, before we start reading Acts chapter 9, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. And some of this we learn actually after the fact, after this portion in Scripture. Um, but we start to find out who this man Saul is throughout Scripture. And what we find out about Saul, and I think it's important to paint a picture of who this guy is that we're about to read about. Saul is one bad dude. Saul's a guy that is raised in a Jewish family, but he also is a Roman citizen. Now, that was not something that was normal necessarily in that day and age. It was actually something that was quite an honor and a privilege. And most people didn't have Roman citizenship that were also Jews. And so ultimately, as you can imagine, this, he was born basically into this upper echelon group of people. And so because of that, he was able to study under some of the greatest scribes of the day. And he started studying Judaism. And he started really at a young age growing up in this and learning about what this was all about. And as he was growing up and as all of these things were happening, um, Christianity started to grow and Jesus was on the scene and certain things started happening and, and he said you know what like um, this goes very much against what I was taught this goes very much against how I was raised and so he started to develop um, this 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 uh, hatred if you will this anger in his heart towards these these this church towards Jesus towards, towards the church of Christians that was growing and as this happened he also started gaining um, the ability and this power and the strength um, from 
all of the people and the community of people that he was engaged with. And so he ended up being handed by all of these different high priests and whatnot um, the, the authority to basically say, hey, you know what? You're one bad dude. We trust you. You're, you we, we see how well you have moved up through the ranks. We see how smart you are and wise you are. And so we're going to give you the authority to basically go out there and take care of these stinking Christians that are messing everything up for us. And Saul says, got it. I can do this. I'll go out there and I'll take care of these guys. Um, and I'll make sure that they stop what they're doing. And that's where we pick up in um, Acts chapter 9, a story about Saul. And so we're going to read this really quickly. I'm reading out of the ESV. We're going to read. I'm going to skip around just a little bit, but know that I'm not pulling out anything. Um, I'm not taking out any scripture that's, that's changing the context of this. I'm just doing this for the sake of being able to move through this. Go back and read the whole story. But we're going to pick up in verse 1, and it says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, remember the way is the church, it's, it's Christians. If he found anybody belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, the voice I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men and women who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I'll skip forward really quickly. What I'm skipping over is basically an encounter that Jesus has with this, this disciple, this new Christian named Ananias. And, and God visits Ananias and says, hey, Ananias, there's a guy named Saul that's about to enter into Damascus. And I want you to go visit him. And I want you to go pray for him because I want to do something in his life. And, and Ananias, knowing who Saul is, is like, Jesus, uh, God, are, are you crazy? Like, I'm not going to go visit Saul. I know who this guy is. He just killed one of my buddies over here, you know? And, and God says to Ananias, don't worry, I've given Saul a dream that you're actually going to show up. And that's where we come on the scene now in verse 17, and we continue on. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house. As any good person, eventually after wrestling with God, realizes he's going to win. So he left, and he says, so he left the house and laying hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then the most amazing thing happens. One of two amazing things happened with this guy who three days ago was on the scene of the stoning of Stephen. It says he rose and was baptized. This guy who was the baddest dude in town, this guy who Ananias, when God visited Ananias in a dream and said directly, go and visit Saul, Ananias is like, whoa, no way. This guy just got baptized. Now, you know something amazing is going on in this portion of Scripture. You know that God is really getting a hold of Saul in this amazing way. And so we're going to jump forward to verse 20 and 21. And it says, immediately, this is the second amazing thing that happens, immediately, he, being Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. 
And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem of those whom called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? And that's where we're going to stop right now in Acts. And we're going to dive into this story. Because as I read this story, many of us have heard this before. Many of us understand that Saul, eventually his name became Paul. He started to be referred to as Paul. But this encounter that he had right here in Acts chapter 9, as I was reading this and as I was studying, asking the Lord to open my heart and what, asking him what he wanted to share with our church, some great revelation, I believe, came from God that I want to share with each and every one of you. Let me back up really quickly, though, because um, the reality of it is, is this. If you were to ask me, or I would ask you maybe, if you could name a historical figure out of any period of time, current or past, that you could meet, or one that maybe even more so has influenced your life, who, outside of Jesus, that's a cop-out right there, we all hopefully are going to be answering that Jesus, but outside of Jesus, who would it be? If you were to think about that, who would be somebody, a historical figure that you're like, man, that person, I could just relate to them, they've changed my life, um, and they've impacted me. Um, for me, it's really the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul, the same person that we read about in the scripture whose name is Saul, he actually went on to um, really be one of the pivotal players in seeing the church grow globally at large. But he also, through that period of time, recognized that he was nothing without Jesus. You know, this guy went from being the baddest dude in town to having this amazing encounter with God, his life being changed, and then walking out and seeing the world around him changed. And I can relate to wanting to be like this guy, wanting to be like Paul. In fact, Paul actually ended up writing most of the New Testament. Much of what you read about in the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to other people or to other churches and people that he was visiting and so this guy turned out to be an amazing person. And as I read this and I read about what a bad guy this was, I think, wow, the power of God. The power of God goes beyond anything that I could ever imagine. I could never put to, with words a good explanation and understanding of how good God is and how powerful and almighty he is. And as I begin to read this scripture I realized that this wasn't just about reading historically what happened to Paul or to Saul. But what really jumped out off the page was the fact that Jesus has the desire to do the same things that he did with Saul to each and every one of us. Specifically, I believe that Jesus has the desire, number one, to meet you. Just like we read about Jesus meeting Saul on this road. This bad dude walking down the road, walking away from this murder that he had created, going into this town specifically to gather these Christians up, put them into prison. Jesus ends up meeting him on that road. And he ruined his day. I mean, seriously, could you imagine... You got everything together. This guy was the, the cream of the crop. This guy had money. He had fame. He had power. He had everything. And as he thought he had his whole life together, he's walking down a road from one city to the next, as he did all the time. And all of a sudden, God came in. Jesus, actually, it says, specifically came on the scene and ruined his day. He cast him to the ground. He shone his spirit and his power upon him. And he sp spoke to Saul personally. Basically, the way that I write it is it was life interrupted for Saul. 
Saul had life in parentheses, right? He had what he had created. He had where he was going. He had what he wanted to do. He had what he thought was right. And then all of a sudden, God came in and invaded life. He interrupted it. And God wants to do the same thing in each and every one of our lives. You know, I remember whenever I was 16 years old, I think it was, um, I thought I knew where my life was going, knew the path that it was supposed to walk down. I was playing sports. I was, I was doing okay in them. Um, I was living in Texas where I grew up, um, and I was specifically was playing football, and that was kind of my sport of choice. Um, and I, I was excelling well in it. I was a big boy. Um, I loved doing it. Um, and so as I continued to progress through it, I started to get some opportunities and some phone calls and some letters from colleges asking um, if I was interested in maybe coming down and doing some visits and going and playing football for them. And I thought, you know what? Like, I'm a big boy that was raised in Texas. Who doesn't want to play football, you know? And especially for some of these big-name schools. And so I started pursuing some of this and started going down this road and thought, you know what? I can, I can do something that I enjoy and I could get school paid for, and this is, this is all going to be perfect. And so I started doing that. And somewhere in the midst of this process, in my junior year of high school, I felt God invade my life for maybe one of the very first times that I could mark it and say he spoke to me. And God came in. I thought I had my life put together. I thought everything was going right. And I thought the path that I was setting was the right thing. And God came in, interrupted my life, and basically said, you need to stop this. This is not where I'm calling you to. It's not that football or this direction is bad, but I have something more for you. And I didn't know how to handle this necessarily. I didn't know what to do. But all I knew is that I had this encounter with God where he was basically meeting me in a place where I wasn't even necessarily expecting to meet him. He was calling me out of this, and I had one of two opportunities. I had the opportunity to engage him and say, who are you, Lord? What do you want? Or the opportunity to reject him and say, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go do my own deal. Now, I think that God obviously offers that to each and every one of us when he encounters us. It's not always a forceful encounter where he's going to blind you and push you to your knees and say, you're going to listen to me. But many times he will encounter you in the day-to-day things that you're doing in life. He will interrupt your life, and it's up to you to either listen to what he wants to say to you or to push it away and say, no, I, I think i got my life taken care of. Now, I want to challenge you when we listen to God and we let him meet us. He's not looking for us to come clean up and, you know, be good and stop doing these things. He, he looks for us right where we're at. No matter how good or bad we are at that moment, no, how, no matter how nice or mean, no matter what words may or may not have slipped out of our mouth, no matter how we uh, have money in the bank account or don't have money in the bank, bank account or what our attendance record is at church, God, when he wants to meet us, he doesn't care about those things at that moment. What he cares about is engaging with you. And he's looking for people who are willing to engage with him. He wants to meet you. You know, the power of God, the power of God is such an amazing transformational thing if we allow him to truly meet us the way that he wants to meet us. Not, us, not necessarily on our terms or in our ways, but to meet us maybe on our path of life in the places where he just says, you know what, I want to interrupt this and I want to engage with you. And just like Jesus did that with Saul, I believe that he wants to meet every single person within earshot of this message. And the question is, is are you willing and ready to meet him? Are you? You know, I had an opportunity to meet a a famous person one time. Um, I grew up in Texas, like I said. And we used to go to Texas Rangers baseball games because they were cheap. 
And so we would sit and we would watch these games and we would enjoy them. It was actually when the Rangers could win a game. Um, and so we would go back and we would go watch these games. And I loved it, man. As a kid, I really enjoyed it. And I went to a game one time with my dad. And as we're sitting in the stands, my dad brought out the binoculars because that's how far away we were. Um, and so he brought out the binoculars. I think that's a baseball. I'm not sure. Um, and he looks over across and we're looking at all the players in the Rangers dugout. And sitting right above the dugout is this guy that my dad points out to me. He hands me the, the binoculars and he says, hey. You see that guy over there? I was like, yeah. And he goes, that guy owns the Texas Rangers. I'm like, no way. And my dad goes, would you like to go meet him? Who wouldn't want to go meet the owner of the Texas Rangers, right? I guess I can't meet Nolan Ryan, so I'll go meet this owner. And so we get up and we go meet this guy. Um, and on our way down, we stopped by um, one, of the, one of the places where they sell all the merchandise. And we bought a baseball. And I got that baseball and I got a pen. And I go down and I shake this guy's hand and I say hello. And he asks me what my name is. And I say, my name is Marcus. And I, I say, can, I, can you sign this baseball? And so I give him this baseball and he signs the baseball. And he gives it back to me. And it says, Marcus, go Rangers. And so I take that, and he signed his name on it, and I take that, and I'm like, what a cool encounter. You know, what I didn't know about this is that this guy who owned the Texas Rangers eventually would become the governor of Texas. Now, many of you know where I'm going with this. This governor of Texas actually ended up becoming the president of the United States, and his name was George W. Bush. Well, little did I know when I encountered this experience with this famous guy how famous he would actually become how much he would change the world around me. You know, I had this ability to encounter him and to meet him and shake his hand and, and have him put his mark on this ball, but I never really knew how incredible this man would turn out to be, how, how transformational, regardless of how you think politically, how transformational he would be to the country that I live in. You know, I actually have the baseball here. Let me show you guys. Right here. And you think, why do you not have that in the case? Well, here's the reality. So I met this guy just like maybe you've met Jesus. I shaked his hand. I had an encounter with him. And I had him sign this ball. And what I did is I put this ball into a glass case and I put it up on the shelf. And for years and years and years and years and years, this thing sat on that shelf. And as the further I got away from this experience, this meeting with this famous guy, the less I actually really fully recalled the details of that meeting. And I actually had him sign this ball, and I went back and looked at this, and I realized not only is my memory and my recollection of meeting this guy fuzzy, but the mark that he put on my ball, the thing that changed this ball from being a normal Texas Rangers baseball that anybody could go and buy to being something very special was his mark that he put on it. And when you encounter Christ, the thing that changes you from being just a normal, everyday person that walks the face of this earth and allows them, the world to move you the way that it wants to is when you meet with Christ, he puts his mark on you. And he changes you forever. But what happened was is I met this guy and I let him mark this ball. But after time, can you guys see this? I don't know if you guys can see this. But his signature faded so bad that you can't even tell what this says anymore. You can't sell, tell that it says Marcus, you can't tell that it says Go Rangers, and you can't even tell barely that it says George W. Bush. This ball has become something that is very much worthless. I couldn't go sell this. Nobody wants this. 
And as I look at this, I think quite often we as believers act the same way. Because Jesus wants to meet you. But he doesn't just want to meet you. He wants to mark you. He wants to put his stamp on you. He wants to write his name across your heart. He wants to put in a permanent marker something that will be lasting on your life. But the reality is, is it doesn't just take one encounter for that to continue to be bold and to be sharp in our lives. It takes continual encounters. Could you imagine if every day of my life I had the opportunity to go back to President George W. Bush and ask him, can you just please re-sign this, just go right back over the lines? And if I were to show this to you, how crisp and how clear and how bold this signature would be, well, that's what Christ wants to do in your life. He wants to meet you every day. He wants to write his signature across your heart every day. And every time he does it, every time we meet him, every time he marks us, it gets more clear and it gets more bold. And it gets more sharp, and it changes our lives in ways that we could never even comprehend or imagine. But how many of us are living a life with a faint memory and a faded signature of our engagement with the risen Savior, and yet we have the opportunity right in front of us to do it every day? Oh, that pierces my heart. Sometimes I treat my relationship like this ball with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that encounter that I have with you. I'm going to put it in a glass case. I'm going to applaud you for giving me salvation. I'm going to remember it every once in a while, but I'm going to walk away and I'm going to continue to do my life. Your mark that I had with you one time was good enough. But church, I got to tell you, while it may be good enough to open the doors of heaven to you forever, eternally, it's not good enough to change your life here. And that's the Jesus that I serve that wants to rock your world and change you forever here. You know, God changes our name. He doesn't call us by Marcus. Hopefully he doesn't call you by Marcus. He calls me by Marcus. But he calls me as blessed. He calls me as chosen. He calls me as favored. He calls me as a warrior. He calls me as one who is his favorite. And he calls you the same. He changes your name from what you may have had put on you naturally to something that moves into a supernatural realm, but you'll never experience it if you don't let him continue to mark your life and actually push that into you. You know what? He gives us a new beginning. Some of you today, maybe the best words you hear is that God, when he meets you and when you let him mark your life, he gives you a new beginning, a fresh start. He wipes the slate clean, and he changes your destiny. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19 says, Therefore, and Paul actually wrote this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. When we meet with Jesus, and we let him mark us, our destinies change. But it doesn't stop there. And when I read this story about Paul, I realize that Jesus wants to meet us, he wants to mark us, and eventually he wants to move us. He doesn't want us to just stay planted where we're at. He wants to move us. Like Paul, like he did with Paul. He physically blinded Paul and then gave him his sight. But you know what's amazing is that correlation is, is that Paul was blinded spiritually already. But when Christ met him on that road, when Christ marked him across the heart and he was baptized, guess what happened? He went from spiritual blindness to sight. He could see more clearly than ever before. 
and he wants to do the same for us. He wants us to be able to open our eyes. You know, the, the end of the story, whenever I talked about leaving sports, what I didn't know was what God was calling me into, and I didn't need to know because it wasn't for me to know at that moment in time, but I left sports, and my, what I didn't know was my life would be changed forever. I eventually left um, Texas. I moved to Hawaii. I went into YWAM. Um, I engaged with what God was doing, and my life was transformed forever. I met my wife, I got into ministry, and everything changed. But you know what? If I'd never let that encounter with God, the meeting with him, and the mark that he wanted to put on my life to happen, I wouldn't be here today doing this. I don't know what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be here. And I would never have seen where he wanted to move me if I wouldn't have given him that opportunity. And God is calling all of us into that place saying, I want to move you, but in order to do that, let's go through these steps. And when we do that, we get an eternal perspective. Ultimately, we go from, we move into a greater purpose to live. I feel like the world today that we live in, believers and unbelievers alike, are looking for purpose in their life. And church, I am here to tell you, your purpose is to live for God. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I can't tell you that that means this is the profession that you need to go after or whatever. But what I can tell you is your purpose will not be found in temporal things in this world. Your purpose and the fulfillment of that will only be found when you let God move you where he wants to move you. You see, Paul or Saul his life was completely ruined for the ordinary. In an instant, this guy, the baddest dude in town, killing Christians, met Jesus. He got baptized, and he became ruined for the ordinary. His ordinary life where he was going around trying to lock up all of these believers changed. And he said, you know what, there's a far greater purpose, and I'm going to run. And immediately, he says, he was in the temples teaching and preaching about this risen Savior. But I got a question to ask you. And as we come to a close, I got to ask you, whose job is that? Whose job is it to go out there and share the love of Christ? Whose job is it to go out there to preach and to teach and to boldly live our lives? And it doesn't always have to be with your words, but it will be with your actions, I can promise you that. Because if you point a finger up here, you would be partially correct. It's my job, but I'm going to point my finger back there and say, God has called us all to be the body of Christ, to go out there boldly preaching and teaching and proclaiming the word of God. That we can't just let it stay within these four walls of this church or the church will never grow. People will never come into a revelation and a knowledge of who he is, not the way that he wants it. And I want to throw back into your courts a challenge to say, are you letting God move you where he wants are you being a bold witness for him? You know, the last scripture that I'm going to read here, and again, it's written by Paul. It's the last two verses. It's the two verses right after what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. It says, therefore, we, the body of Christ, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to invite Pastor JJ up here. And I want to encourage everybody in this room. Man, we read this story in Acts chapter 9. 
about this guy named Saul who encounters the risen Savior Jesus on this road. He lets Jesus meet him. He lets Jesus mark him. And then he let Jesus move him. And this guy became one of the most influential characters in all of Christianity to this day. What if God was calling you to be a Paul? God was calling you to be somebody that you don't have to be a missionary and, you know, go start all these churches. But what if he's calling you to be somebody who he wants to meet with, who he wants to write his mark across your heart, and who he wants to, he, who he wants to move into the ministry of Christ in this world? Because honestly, I believe that's what he wants to do with all of us. And so I'm going to pray as we wrap this service up. And I want to pray for two different groups of people, very specifically. And I'm going to be bold in this, and I just want to see what the Holy Spirit does. The first group of people I want to speak to are the people that when you go through this list and you think about meet you, mark you, move you, you're like, I can't even get past the meeting point. I don't know that I've ever actually met Jesus. That's great news. You know why? Because Jesus is here. I can introduce you to him right now. Just like my dad looked through those binoculars and said, you want to go meet that guy? I am telling you right now, Jesus is in this room. Do you want to meet him? You can say yes or you can say no. It's not my choice. It's yours. But if you say yes, he's ready to shake your hand and give you a hug and put his mark on your heart and change your world forever. Change eternity in your life. He's not asking you to come clean. He's not asking you to change everything right now. He's just asking, can I just put my signature right now? And then we can worry about meeting each other more later on. And if you're in this room, I need that, I've never had that, then I want to pray for you. And then the second group of people are specifically those people that maybe you have had this encounter with Jesus. You've met him, you've even let him mark you, and maybe you've even let him move you, but you've put that portion of your life on the shelf, and you've kind of walked out and done your life, and it's become hazy, it's become faded, it's become a faint memory, and you need Christ to come and to just rewrite his name on your heart. Then I want to pray for you, because the same for you as it is with the other people. Jesus is here, and he's got the pen. He's just waiting. He's waiting to go back over that and make it sharp in your life. Make it sharp in your life. So if you guys, every person in this room, if you would bow your heads and you would close your eyes and respect to every person. If you are in this place and you say, I'm in that first camp, Pastor Marcus. I am somebody that I can't even say that I've actually had that meeting with Jesus. And I believe what you say. I trust that he is here in this room. I trust that he is life, that he has the words of life, that he is the way to heaven, that he is the risen Savior. And I just need to meet him. And if you're in this place and you want to boldly say, Jesus, I want to meet with you, I just want you to raise your hand really quickly. Gotcha. All over the place. If you just want to meet with Jesus never done that, raise your hand. Be bold. So Father, I pray for every person in this room that says, I need to meet with Jesus right now. I've never done that. I want his embrace. I want the freedom and the life that comes through knowing him. I want salvation, but what I want more even than that is a relationship. God, I pray that you would come and that you would truly wrap your arms of love and blessing around every person in this room. God, would you put your mark on their hearts to change their destinies, to change their lives forever, Lord God. May you truly come and bring blessing and life to them. Breathe life into them, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. If you're in this room and you say, I have met him and I've let him mark my heart and maybe I've even let him move me, but I just, it's faded right now. I can't even really even decipher what it says. And I need that fresh encounter with him. Jesus wants to do that for you right now. And if that's you in this room, I just want to ask you as well to just boldly raise your hand. It's a statement to say, there's nothing magical or miraculous about raising your hand, but it's a statement to say, that's me. I need it. I need it. All over the room. You guys can put me down. God, we come to you and we first say thank you that you are a God. That no matter how far we have walked away, no matter how long it's been since we picked that up and we've let you remark us, Lord God, that you are always there waiting with your pen of blessing and of direction and of authority and, and, and of joy and of life and of peace and all the things that you bring, Lord God. And so what we do is we come to you, Lord God, and we present ourselves humbly before you and we say, can we meet you again? And God, I pray that every person that raises their hand, that you would just embrace them right now in this place, that there would be no condemnation that would kind of come upon them, that there would be no fear or worry or doubt where they stand with you, Lord God, but that you would actually just pour out your favor and blessing upon them as you write your name across their heart, as you put your stamp on them, Lord God. And I pray that they would rise up in boldness to say, I will be a changed person because of this experience. I will let my life move in the direction that he's called me to. Meet us here in this place, Lord. Mark our hearts and move us where you want to go. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you. And we just pray these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus.